Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello everyone and welcome to The Bubbling Adventure a podcast all about kids and how positive education and conscious parenting can impact their entire life as well as society. I am your host, Julie, and each Thursday, we are having conversations with guests on different themes, and our aim is to have open discussions, share different points of view, and learn in a non-judgmental way. In today's episode, I have the pleasure of speaking with a Hall of Fame heavyweight boxer, Monty Barrett. Monty started boxing at 21 and had an impressive career with 48 fights. He is now an entrepreneur and a dad, raising his six daughters in South Carolina in the US. There is a trigger warning on this episode as Monty opens up about growing up in an abusive family in New York during the 70s. He also tells us about the importance of protecting your kids and giving them a voice how structure sets them up for a great future and the need of a strong community to raise well-rounded kids. I hope you will enjoy this episode as much as I did. The best way to support this podcast is to subscribe if you haven't already. And I can see that 45% of you listeners are not subscribed to this show yet. Please make sure that you do so so that you don't miss out on new episodes coming out each Thursday. What also helps is to write a review if you are listening from Apple Podcasts. But without further ado, let's begin! Hi, Monty. How are you today? I'm doing well. And yourself? Very good. Thank you. And thank you for taking the time to speak with us today. Thank you. And thank you for having me, Julia. My pleasure. Could you please introduce yourself to the audience? Well, I'm Monty Barrett. They call me Two Guns because of my boxing career. Um, I fought for 18 years. My career spanned for 18 years. I did so many wonderful things. I got a chance to meet so many wonderful people traveled the world and won a couple of belts and got inducted to the, into the New York Hall of Fame of boxing. And I, I met some great people. I fought some great people that I still have long life relationships with, coaches and promoters and managers. So, but it, it's been a great experience. And I have all my marbles still, at least one, at least, at least some of them. <laughs> <laughs> that's nice. Wow. Well, that's an impressive career for sure. Could you tell us about your childhood, your upbringing? 
Well, my childhood was pretty rough. So I was born in North Carolina, Greenville, North Carolina. And at one years old, my mother, who had me at 16, she turned 17 like 10 days later. She moved with her family to New York. So I basically was, you know, um, even though I was born in North Carolina, I was raised in New York. And it was pretty rough, you know, um, coming up, it was like, you know, you become a product of your environment, meaning that my mother, you know, she got, she started indulging in drugs, men, things like that. She was young, you know, uh, I was, I was sexually molested by a, a, my stepfather's family member. And, you know, it was like, it was pretty rough. And for years, I didn't even know how much, um, how much emotions that I never dealt with inside. but Long story short, that um, I came to realization that I need help. And that's, I didn't realize that until I was a grown man. But um, it also caused me to be different towards women because my mother was uh, very abusive. My stepfather was very abusive. My aunts all abused me. The woman who molested me, she was my cousin. She was very abusive to me for like this. Mm-hmm. She was my babysitter. She was my stepfather's niece. So, in the beginning, it was very, very rough, but it always worked out at the end. Right. So was it New York in the 80s when you were a kid? 70s. I was, Se- in, so okay. I was born in 71. Right. So, you know, I came to New York. I was like in 72. Mm-hmm. And all of this happened between five years old and eight years old. That's all of, tough. you know, all of that. Right. Right. So, you know, I mean, five year, you know, I have a seven year old. So can, I can mm-hmm. only imagine how I felt but at the same time parents like I always say to myself like parents you have to have those conversations like with my daughter now who's seven I have six daughters the youngest is seven and I always yeah I always try to have those conversations with her just to let her know that she's not alone you know Mm. and that she's protected because that's very important because if a kid feel like they have a voice they will open up to you and express to you but if you shut them out and, and don't let them speak and don't give them a voice, they'll never tell you. I couldn't agree more. Like building a safe space so that they can share and not feel like they're the problem, you know? But so right. obviously in New York in the 70s, really tough, you know, all around. And we weren't talking about mental health at all then. And obviously many members of your family were abusive, but... Um, did you have anyone to talk to? Because obviously you don't want your, your kids to feel alone, but were you alone then? Or did you at least have, you know, some friends to talk mm-hmm. with? Or? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, at that, at that, in, in those times, in the 70s, you were taught to shut up and mind your business. Those family dark secrets became that, dark secrets. Mm-hmm. So we never, I didn't have an outlet. You know, it, life life wasn't as vocal as it is now and invisible as it is now. So, you know, as a, you're taught as a man, as a young boy to mind your business and keep quiet. So I didn't have that support system. Even uh, when I, you know, as I got older, we just kind of shut it out. Like it never happened. And not until I was in my, I had to be, you know, uh, 30 in my 30, early 30s, and I was watching the Antoine Fisher story, and it was about um, a young guy who was um, who got molested by his his step his stepsister, and I, I bust out crying 
Mm. I bust out crying and uh, all these emotions came back. The next thing you know, I was on the phone with my aunt telling her what happened in her home with Joyce, her, her daughter. And it was so crazy. Like it felt like it happened, right? Like it yeah. just happened yesterday. And it was very deep and I was so emotional. I'm even getting a little emotional talking about it now. But the mm. point of it is that back in the 70s, you know, it was a different time. You know, yeah. we didn't have access to information and people like we do now. So mm-hmm. it was very, it was very lonely. And, you know, um, my aunts, they took out their frustrations and abuse on me because my mother was a baby. So they took all their problems and pain out on me. And, you know, so my mother and she was abusive to me. Uh, she, she did the best she could at 16 years old having a kid. She was a mm-hmm. kid having a kid. But, you know, she made some really bad choices and decisions. And then when I was in my teenager, like before I was like 11, 12, she started, she started dealing in drugs and then life just kind of boom, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's tough and it's true. Some, some things can be tri- triggering and sometimes we don't even think of things that happened, you know, right. for a few years and mm-hmm. then suddenly, boom, you don't know uh, what's, you know, what's going to cause it. But uh, yeah. And it's also brave to to tell your family what happened and to talk about it because some people feel like, oh my God, I don't want to be the, you know, the problem. I don't want to bring things from the past, but I think it's important to all learn. Release from that. that. Yeah. Release that. Yeah. So I did a, I did an article in 2021 on Deadspin magazine. It's a sports magazine in, in, uh, in the United States. Mm-hmm. And it was about me being molested. So I went to church uh right before the pandemic i went to church and my pastor we have a pretty nice church you know as far as members and he said i want to share something with you guys and uh he said i was molested when i was a kid and then he started telling his story and in the midst of him telling his story i stood up i stood up and i started crying and i said pastor i was molested too Mm. and that was a chain reaction because around 20 to 30 men stood up and started crying and said, I was molested too. I was molested too. I was molested too. And it was like a dominoes effect, mm-hmm. but it was a lot of healing in that process because as men, we're told to just deal with things. Right. Yeah. And sometimes when you have those things that you have to be very vulnerable to, you can't express it because, you know, men don't really work on vulnerability like women, you know, so we hold things in. So when that happened, it was like, um, you've seen everybody becoming vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the pastor was molested. I was molested. The 20, 30 men in the, uh, in the church was molested. And none of us really never came to terms with it. Yeah. We never came to terms with it. And we never had support. Yeah. And feeling like you can talk to people who really understand what you've been through and, knowing that you're not alone in this and that it wasn't your fault. And because obviously with, with situations like this, sometimes you can have a lot of guilt or, you know, regrets, or I should have done this. I should have done that. But you were also protecting yourself at the time. So, you know, you're like, you're, you're a kid, you're doing the best you can and, and you don't know any better. So, yeah, I think it's, it's good. And so, now, obviously, you said that you were trying to really educate your daughters about the risks and so on. Are there any, for example, questions that you ask regularly or, you know, how do you, because you said you're trying to create a, a safe space for them 
to be able to share anything, but do you, as a dad who's been molested in the past, like, do you have an extra fear of that or not so much? Well, to be honest with you, my fears came true. So I went through a very bad divorce for my first wife, who's my mm -hmm. high school sweetheart. We was together since 17. And we divorced in 2003. And, you know, through the divorce, there was a lot of noise, a lot of chaos. And, um, you know, every, all my family was separated. And at that point, my daughter, my, my, my oldest daughter was molested by three gentlemen. Oh, my God. And, and, she, and she was mine. She was 14. She was 14 when this happened. Mm -hmm. And I didn't, know, I didn't know about it until she was 18. She called me crying one day and she told me that, Uh, I want to let you know that I was molested and mommy told me to never tell you. And the reason I'm telling you now, because mommy told me I deserved it. <gasps> and I was like, her mother was very harsh. And, uh, and I felt, I started crying. I was, um, I was in Florida in training camp, a wrestling training camp with John Cena. Right. Mm -hmm. And I felt so bad because I had no part of her justice or her revenge. I couldn't, it was like, it happened to me. So I could only imagine Yeah. Her 14, she was she went over her, her cousin's house and she was molested by three men. You know, these these are men, these she's 14 and 18, 19 years old. So I was crushed. And of course. what I did not my, my worst nightmare, I didn't want it to happen. It happened to my first. And you know, so you know, I'm very, very um cautious about who. I let my daughter spend the night, who house she goes to. I have yeah. talks with them. I let them know where I am mentally as far as, you know, the protection and so on and so forth. So I'm very keen and aware, but, you know, I just got to pray and leave it up to God to, to handle the rest but, and make better choices and decisions moving forward. Yes, this is very tough and it must have brought back as well some, some memories for you. And yeah, it's... It's a lot more common than people think. Uh, uh, like the thing is, as soon as even with a group of friends or so, you know, you ask the question, there's not like there's always at least one person, if not more, that has been through this situation. So that's also why I like to talk about these subjects on the podcast is that for me, we should change education at school, which should teach boys and girls about consent and about, you know, all of these things, because I think it's mm -hmm. not equal right now, depending on where you live or your family or, you know, what type of education you receive. It's not equal. No. Some people get the talk and some people don't get it. So I think if we were doing it more on a global way, which means like primary school or something, that would probably help. Uh, but there's a lot of things to to change with with the, the education system anyway. Um, yeah, it is. <laughs> but so for you... What are your, for example, because you started boxing young. No, older. Older. I started boxing. I, I was a grown man. When I started boxing, I was, all right, so I started boxing at 21, right? Okay. That's older, right? So what happened was I was, um, I was in the streets. I was exposed to a lot, as you can tell. I told you at five years old, I was molested. Mm -hmm. When I was around 11, 12 years old, I was selling crack cocaine. I didn't know what I was doing, but my mother entrusted me with her family members who was all drug. They, they was, everybody was using drugs. Half was in jail, half was in drug, using drugs, and the other half was in church. So it was like the typical black 
family. So basically I was selling drugs in a crack house at 11, 12 years old when I should be at home playing with my GI Joe dolls. Mm -hmm. Right. So I'm experiencing and seeing so many things before my time. I'm seeing grown men and women have sex and on getting high on drugs and all type of explicit things that I shouldn't be seeing. So I was kind of exposed. Then as I got older, that became the norm for me because that's became that I was a product of my environment. So mm -hmm. what happened was for some reason, I felt like God always had a better plan and a bigger plan for me. I knew that wasn't my end or be all, right? I was very good at sports. I was very good at taking instructions and following directions. So when I got involved in sports, I excelled from baseball to basketball to football. I really, and, and track and field, I really excelled in football in high school. And then I got offered some scholarships to go to college. I went to college, a junior college, for, to be a Prop 48. So I can be a redshirt freshman and play for uh, Grambling State University was recruiting me at the time. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I just tried to I tried to stay clean and um, I just kept dreaming. I kept I knew that my life was going to be better than it is now. I knew I had a higher purpose to serve, but I was young. I just didn't know how I was going to do it. But I know mm -hmm. it's going to be rich and famous and I was going to have all all this money and all this power. And I just was always a dreamer. Right. But the best thing that ever happened to me, my mother, she let me from the age of five to 16 for all for every summer. I went I went to Greenville, North Carolina and spent the whole summer with my grandparents. And in the 70s, your grandparents were like real grandparents. You know what I'm saying? They dress like grandparents. They have rules like grandparents. <laughs> they act like grandparents. And that saved my life because mm -hmm. I had the chance. I had structure. Yeah, I had love. Yeah. I had affection, it was very affectionate, affectionate towards me. And we went to church on Sundays, we went to Elks Clubs on, on Saturdays, and Monday through Friday, I was in a boys and girls club. So I had structure. Versus when I'm in New York, I'm running the street because my mother's working, busting her butt to work these jobs. She's young, and we had no supervision. So we did anything we wanted to do, right? Mm -hmm. Versus now I'm with my grandparents. And I'm under, under their umbrella of st structure. So they kind of gave me that, they gave me that information and they took me, put me in a different space. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. 
millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Peace. But at the time, how did you react to structure? Were you happy to be there? Did I you love, want to I love, stay? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. All kids love structure once they're exposed to it. Mm-hmm. You know, but you got to expose them first yeah. because if they don't never get exposed to it, they'll never know what it feels like. So I, I embraced it because it was it was like, you know, it took a lot of pressure off of me mentally because I wasn't mm-hmm. doing what I wanted to do. I was following I was following a law I was follow, following a routine that was helping me get better mm-hmm. versus me doing stuff myself. Even at a young age, you know, like this is not right. Like, you know, like in your back of your head, you're like, oh, you know, this ain't going to last but for so long, you know, and I always had that conscious. I always had that. As a young kid, I didn't know it w- what it was called then, but a conviction. Mm-hmm. I always had a conviction about when I was doing wrong and versus doing right. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. I, I think it's good that you, it probably showed you that there was also another way that it's mm-hmm. not, it sure. doesn't need to be chaos all the time. So yeah, that's good. And so you started boxing, you said at 21, how did you find it how did you get to it and did you go fully in straight away or did you start training you know slowly but surely well when I was 21 I had my own business I was very fortunate everything I touched really turned to gold I was blessed with that hand uh, you know help people like now I'm 50 I'll be 51 next week it's like I'm about service helping people so what happened was I was in college and I met a gentleman I had got a job for it. And he's like, um, yo, I got this old man who who just came from Vegas and he's a very, you know, um, special trainer, da, da, da. So I met up with him and my life kind of changed from there. Like, you know, because I already had the structure. I already had the discipline because even though I was in the streets, I, it's still a law that you got to go by. Mm-hmm. It's still a law and laws that you got to follow to get certain places to move around. You can't just be out there just going crazy or you'll die, Mm -hmm. right? So I had that structure. So then I just applied that structure to boxing, you know, the discipline, the obedience, you know, because mind you, I've been playing sports since fourth grade. So I had that structure. So I had the discipline and obedience to follow instructions. They say, if you want to be a good chief, you got to be a great Indian. You got to learn how to take instructions. So I think that's where I did pretty well at learning to take instructions nice and so you started training on the side of your business correct yes I started training my business allowed me to I was making pretty good money I was probably you know I was I used to work construction I used to make around 
28 to $32 an hour back in 91, after I graduated high school and um, I was in college, it was doing on it for the summer. But, you know, life was, then I, I got a whole bunch of people. I got over 4,000 4, people jobs. And then one of the contractors liked me. So he said, have you ever been locked up? I said, no. He said, go get your MBE. I said, what is that? He said, that's a minority business employment certificate. And it's going to allow you to bid on jobs for the city of New York. I did that. I got investigated for six months. I got my MBE. Now I'm making different money because now they're sending me checks for 50000 $60,000 every two or three months. So I was able to employ people, get people construction jobs. Now I'm doing really well for myself. I'm living in great neighborhoods, got nice cars. Mm-hmm. So life was just picking up. So when I got involved in boxing, it was easy for me because I already had the obedience and the discipline. But a lot of people struggle in boxing or a new activity in their life because of finances. Yeah. I didn't have those problems. So I was able to focus. I was, I was able to train. I had my own company. So I didn't have to be physically on a job. I just had to, mm. you know, be on the phone. And I had people there physically while I was in Austria or Finland or over, you know, I was in, a, you know, in um, Kansas City or wherever I was because I, I moved around a lot as an amateur. Mm-hmm. So it kind of worked out really good for me. I see. But I guess that's also interesting because not in all the cases, but in a lot of cases when boxers, you say they do have this financial pressure. However, they, this is sometimes something that drives them even more because you have to have a deep rage into you to be able to do this. And because I don't think, you know, many people don't realize how intense the training is, how many hours, how many, but also even just getting punched in the face for, for a living, especially for you as a heavyweight, it's, it's not the same risk as other categories. You get knocked out sometimes, right? Yeah. So good thing, the good point you made. So Shelly Finkel, he was Mike Tyson, Evander Holyfield, Pinnell Whitaker. He was the he was a manager of many world champions, and he sponsored me as an amateur. He paid me like three, four thousand dollars a month. You know, travel expenses. You know, I'll go on. I'll go away with Holyfield. I'll go away with Pinnell Whitaker, Andrew Galata, me and Zab Judah. I don't know if you know who Zab Judah. Zab Judah is a, a six-time world champion. He was a, a former boxer himself. And when I was about to sign to become a pro because I lost in the Olympic trials. Um, and I was like, okay, I'm gonna turn pro. Shelly sponsored me most of my amateur career. And when I went to his office to sign, you know what he told me? He said, Monte, he said, um, he said, you you don't have that hunger. You're too complacent. You know, he said, he didn't say you're too complacent. He said, you don't really have that hunger. Like you got, you're doing pretty good for yourself financially. And like you said, you know, fighters need that hunger. But I had, I was born with hunger. You know what I'm saying? I was born with, I was born in adversity and a lot of people don't understand that I'm resilient. You know, now people always say, they describe me as a word, they use resilient. But back yeah. then, Shelly was like, you know, you, you live in a nice place. You got a couple of cars. You don't, he didn't want to sign me. And I was heartbroken. Even though I was a grown man around, at that time I was like 25. I was heartbroken because I, I felt like, yo, I'm going to sign with Shelly Finkel and I'm going to be on TV. I'm going to be making this money. And he was like, I don't want to sign you. And I was like, I was blown away because he said he didn't think I he said I, he didn't think I had that desire and the hunger that was needed to become a world champion. And you proved him wrong. I proved him wrong. I mean, because I fought a couple of his fighters and I beat him up really bad. And I saw him <laughs> see Shelly asked for you. So 
because he always he kept because he kept that fire lit under me, that fire of doubt, staying, saying, telling me what I cannot do. Mm. Yeah, but I think because these moments are hard, you know, it's like it it hurts when you when you don't get it, when people tell you you're not good enough or you can't do it and right. so on. But I think in the end, it really this is what drives you and you want to prove these people wrong and you want to do even better. So who knows? Right. Maybe that was actually helpful but on the moment it doesn't feel like it is <laughs> right right at the moment you just never know um you know with god all things are possible and sometimes your hurt and your pain could be something that takes you and compel you to the next level mm-hmm. you know or according to how you deal with it you know because we go through situations in life all the time my daughter just called me my oldest daughter and she's going through some boy problems and things like that but what she's not realizing that is that her boy problems that she's going through is compelling her to do, to do better with her career. Mm-hmm. But, you know, she just got to learn how to separate. So, you know, I'm learning today, you know, it's, being a parent is all, it's a 24 hour, seven day a week job. You never stop being a parent. You know, you worry about your kids. You, you want to talk to your kids all the time. It's a little difficult now in this time and age because the kids speak different languages than we speak. Mm-hmm. And they are totally different than when we was coming up because they don't, have real relationships. Everything is social media and text and messenger and Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. Instead of just calling a person on the phone and be like, what are you doing? You know, everything's about FaceTime and it's so short and sweet. It's not, you know, when I was growing up, it was about more so, you know, learning who your neighbors are, knowing their last name, you know, the mother would mm-hmm. cook for you. And if you get out of place or out of order, you'll get a, a, a walk from the mother or the father, you know, but now people got so many hidden agendas. You, you can't trust people with your kids. Yeah, I guess it's tough and it's different ways of communicating and it's yeah. just not like how it used to be, but also I think it helps I don't know, learning. Like it- it's better. Listen, life is evolving. So it's mm-hmm. nothing, nothing grows standing still, right? You know what I'm saying? And I, I, I do get it. So even though things are a little different, you know, I see some good things coming out of things being yeah. different because kids, kids have more of a voice now than they yeah. did before because of the platform. And, you know, kids can make a better living now versus, you know, when we, when I was coming up, you know, things were much harder, but now things are getting much easier, especially I did learn a great value in this. This is a great saying. You're only as good as your, as your support system. You're yeah. only as good as your support system. So if your support, because I, and I'm a product of that, right? I could have been much better. I probably could have been a doctor or the best judge in the world. Who knows? But I, I had limited resources because when I made my first 100,000 and I said to my wife and to my mother, like, what do you want to do with this? They didn't even know, like they never had that type of money before. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so I'm limited. My resources are very limited versus my, both of my friends who I grew up with had, uh, both of their fathers were doctors, MDs, and they mm-hmm. both follow in a parent's footstep and became MDs themselves. You know what I'm saying? And bought homes and did this and, and, you know, and I, I'm up and down like this, but they're more stable. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. They they chart they chart the course more more effectively than me because I have a lot of roller coaster rides up and up and down. I have some lows and some highs, but they're like they are steady. So and that become, that comes from support. You know, you're only as good as your support system and you know um and structure. 
you know. So that's what um that's what a a two house healthy parent household looks like for your kids: structure and a, a great future. I completely agree, and sometimes it's hard because you want to compare yourself to others and so on. And I guess definitely the the thing about having contacts as well helps so much. You know, having a circle yeah structure as you said so it's definitely interesting also to to see that you you grew up with other people like this and so you were aware of of their privilege as well yeah right it was like it was like i can live a life limitless and i can i can live a healthy happy life one day even though i had so much chaos in my life it was more so mm -hmm. i seen another side yeah if that makes sense i seen another side No, that makes total sense. Yeah, for sure. Is there any advice that you would like to share? Additional advice, I guess. Well, the, the best advice I could share is uh, uh, for, you know, kids and family is just a good, strong community, you know, mm. of love and support. And however that looks for not the parent, but for the kid, you know, because, you know, yeah. parents are the eyes and hearts of the kids. And they, they breed the kids to be their very best or at their worst. So mm -hmm. for me, I, I you know, listen, one, one, one thing I learned about being a kid is being a, a parent is that I fail daily. It's not like I have a manual that says, this is the perfect manual of how to be the best parent. No, you got to learn as you go. And mm -hmm. uh, uh, even even my, my, my daughter now, Gabrielle, she's seven. And me and her mother, we dropped the ball a couple of times arguing in front of her because, you know, that causes her to be divided. That causes her to hurt. And it's a lot of things that we have to work on, but we can't make excuses anymore. Even though we lost, I even though I had my mother, I didn't have my mother. She lost her mother at six. We have limited resources. Mm -hmm. But every day we get better because we have so much information that we have access to and therapy and you and YouTube and, and social media and just people that mm -hmm. we can do a better job of being better parents. You know? I love that. Yeah. And yeah. So my thing is that, you know, the advice I would say, you know, as parents, we got to get comfortable with being uncomfortable until we can get our kids in a space where they are feeling love and, and feeling respected and also they are given that same love and respect to us as well because it's a double way. It doesn't go one way. Those one-way relationships never work out because mm -hmm. it's always an unbalance. I completely agree with you. Um, what can we wish you for the future? What's next? What's, what's next is like I'm, I'm in the middle of working. I got two great businesses going on. I got an opioid recovery center and Uh, Columbia, South Carolina called Champs Camp. And I also have a gym that I'm in the middle of uh, putting, um, looking for spaces called Champs Camp um, Studios. Mm -hmm. And I got some amazing people I've met out here and they became my family. Uh, uh, even Gene, I mean, Gene is an amazing guy. I met you through Gene. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, so many wonderful things are going on. Uh, and and um, my relationship with Christ is deeper. Like, since I came out here, I had no choice but to, when I retired nine years ago, I used to dedicate my, my uh, hour of my morning meditating, praying, and reading the scriptures. 
And, you know, sometimes you get mundane and you fall into that pattern of just doing it. You're, you're seeing the word, but you're not living the word. You're reading the word, but you're not living the word. So I was into that space. But now I've been fully invested into living a better life. And my, my only purpose right now is service. Mm-hmm. You know, Jesus came. He didn't come to uh, be served. He came to serve. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be as Jesus was of service. I'm trying to, you know, approach people with love, with forgiveness, with empathy. So my journey is about helping people. That's mm-hmm. how to look for me. So the Opioid Recovery Center, the speaking engagements that I'm doing, I did like two already speaking engagements. I'm set up with like two more uh, for the summer. And also the gym to help kids, you know, learn how, how self-defense and not, not getting bullied and not to be aggressive with it, but just to more so to protect themselves. So anyway, I could be a service to you. That's what I want to do. I want to be of service. I love that. It's really inspiring. Thank you for sharing. Um, we'll, we'll put all the links as well in the description box so that everybody can, can check it out and uh, see about the, you know, the information about the camps and so on. I'm, I'm starting this podcast called Round 11. And it's, a re- it's about redemption because we all have a redemption story. The only thing about yours and mine is how I tell it. Some people don't want to tell theirs and some people don't know how to tell theirs and want to tell it. So I just think that we all are filled with redemption stories that brings the world closer together because we all can agree that life is not easy. And God didn't say life was going to be fair, but he did say he was going to be with you throughout it. And, you know, so the most important thing is that we got to continue to understand that we got to push forward, even when we hit a, a brick wall or when we hit, you know, we have to have the mentality. We don't build walls, we build bridges, mm. right? So that's how we got to keep it like that so that we can continue to unite. Love this. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. Feel free to share if you think it might be helpful to someone you know. If you enjoyed this episode, then please make sure to write a review if you're listening on Apple Podcasts and subscribe if you haven't already. That's it for me. See you soon with the next episode. And in the meantime, have a lovely day. Botox Cosmetic, out botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. 
With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips and adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com.